electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the high stakes for stocks yet again this week. More earnings on the way. That key speech from Fed Chairman Jay Powell looming tomorrow. What all of it means to this year's rally, we debate it with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour, Surat. Satie, Stephanie Link, Joe Ternova, everybody's here at the table. It's good to see all of you and you. Let's check the markets. 12 noon in the east and uh, different pick. I mean, we've been kind of all over the place in this early session here. Uh, Dow is still negative by 100. S&P, two-thirds of a percent. NASDAQ's been weaker throughout the session. Small caps as well. And there's the 10-year note. Uh, it is down. Yields up a little bit, 363. Joe, maybe, I don't know, a delayed reaction uh, of sorts to the jobs report. I mentioned Powell. Tomorrow, some are now adding another rate hike to their models. Is that the biggest risk event of the week, Powell, tomorrow, Washington Economic Club, which, by the way, we'll have on this program? Yeah, for certain, there's a little bit of hesitancy to extend the rally from last week today. Um, I also think you have to factor in a little bit of a introduction of geopolitical tensions, whether it's the U.S. imposing that 200 percent tariff on Russian-made aluminum, and then certainly... Oh, the balloon shoot-down. The balloon shoot the Chinese tension. So I, I think there's a little bit of a geopolitical hesitation right now for equities. Uh, as it relates to Chairman Powell, I, Scott, I don't know that you're going to hear anything different than what we've heard from the chairman. Um, he's going to remain overly hawkish, and I think you're going to have this... Well, he wasn't, you know, but that's the thing, though. He, and you nailed this the, the day before the actual ha- he meeting. Was, he, wasn't he wasn't overly hawkish. No, but he wasn't hawkish. He wasn't hawkish enough. I, I, I think what's happened is that the communication, they're utilizing the communication as their most significant tool. They're limited in the scope of their actions now. What are they going to do? I mean, they're going to raise another 25 basis points in March probably. Okay, that's really not going to shake uh, the bullish price action that we've so far seen. So, so you don't, you're not worried about him trying to walk anything back or have a more hawkish message or tone. Remember, not it was the demeanor and the message that, Correct. Oh, oh, so calm. He's calm Correct. and cool this time. And the message was dovish, not as hawkish as we thought. A- am I worried about it? No. Would it be effective if he did it? With, without question. It's there that the Federal Reserve is responding. Remember, I've said you don't want to agitate the Federal Reserve with bad behavior within the markets. There, the Federal Reserve is acting much stronger than they did last week. They're showing that, you know what, we're actually a little bit concerned about financial conditions being the easiest that they've been in the last 12 months. He had a chance to deal with that last last week. He he didn't didn't do do it it last week. He didn't do it. So are we worried that he's going to do it and deal with it this time? Because the narrative, right, has really gone from hard landing, soft landing, no landing, no landing. right? Because right. the jobs report 
was so strong. I mean, whether you believe it or not, you know, we'll have to wait and, and see on that. But still, do you feel like he's going to try and fix, quote unquote, anything from last week? I don't know if he's going to fix or feel like he has to fix, but he will focus on the jobs report. You know, we've talked, Scott, um, a number of times how there's such a mixed economy, right? We, we know manufacturing is weak. We know housing is weak. And we got that down. But the jobs numbers, it's not just on Friday's number that was so strong, right? It was the jolts. It was initial claims. I mean, the four-week moving average for the for initial claims is now down 10% mm-hmm. year over year. I mean, like, that's a really big, big deal. So across the spectrum, jobs are strong. And that's the bright part of the economy at this point in time. But the thing that Powell said last week, yeah, we're seeing disinflation in goods. We see the pipeline coming down in housing. Right, he said disinflation like 47 times or however many times it was. Right, but he also focused on core services, ex-housing. And what is that? That's jobs, right? That's the strength of the labor market. And so I think he's going to reiterate that point that that is what has to come down. And it's it's still too high based on what, you know, what their expectations are across the board. The big question, Surat, is how much more can the market legitimately run? Okay, It's, it's come a long way. In a reasonably short period of time, Goldman's David Costin today says the potential for further upsides limited. He says it's forced him to raise his own three-month price target to 4000 from 3600 but soft landing's already priced in. I mean, no landing, I guess, is not priced in. But let's address the issue first. How much more can the market legitimately run from here? And I think if you look at it and you say, well, the market's really been running with the big caps and the big caps for the most part, had their earnings last week. And we know that there are no short-term catalysts for those guys to go up right now, right? The short-term catalyst could be, oh, the 10 years coming down and interest rates are coming down. Well, we know that is off, right? At least now, initially, after- It's been running Friday. from all the other stuff too, right? though. So, Not just the mega caps. Well, you can still have the mar- you can still have people make money. It doesn't mean that the whole market has to go up as a whole. I mean, you can look at areas like Staples or healthcare or, or industrials where there are stock-specific companies you can own so you can still make money. Just so buying, you, buying the index will not really work for the next couple of years. Okay, but you're, you're, you're answering that question as if you don't think that there's much room left for the rally. I, as that's, an, what, that's how I read it. Yeah, as an index, I agree with you. As a, because it's, you got Apple, Microsoft, all these Well, guys. I'm not saying there's nothing left. That sounds like what you're saying. I agree. Okay. I am saying that. Yes. We, we're going to like, you know, cut down words. Yeah. Here. Let's yes. parse okay. it all the way down. Cold, parse it all the way down. What I am saying is, yes, the market is going to not, the S&P for the next six months is going to be in a range. And for, for people to outperform, you don't necessarily only have to stick with the mega caps. You have other stocks in there that have the opportunity that can perform because it's not just based on interest rates. It's based on secular growth and companies that have cash flow. Maybe part of the positive to, to hold on to at, at this point is still there's not a lot of buy-in. There's not a lot of buy-in to the rally. You Look at the notes today, right? One of the big bears over the last many months, Mike Wilson, no evidence to suggest a new bull market. You've gotten some calls, by the way, that October was the low. New bull market started, Labenthal, Belsky, some others have pointed to the fact that, no, they think this is the beginning of a new cycle. He says no, he being Mike Wilson. No evidence to suggest that. Did not lead to an immediate reversal. He said, while last week's events did not lead to an immediate reversal of this latest bear market rally, we also don't think they offered any conclusive evidence to suggest a new bull market began in October. Not sure what gets us back to the October low. I think the probability of revisiting those prices is very low. I think it's reflected in what David Costin at Goldman Sachs did today. 
3,600 to 4,000. The first half of 2023 was expected to be negative relative to what we'd see in the second half of 2023. The concern was for the front of the year. Right. That is being right now unwound. I think that investors should expect that the first half of the year is probably going to be a little bit better. I think the lag effects economically of what the Federal Reserve is doing is going to have to somewhat wait a little bit longer. And we're going to see it in the second half of the year. You want to, you so, want to address the elephant in the room? Maybe the whole year is better than what people thought. If you believe that the no landing scenario can actually come to fruition, then it would, you know, to your point, it's, and it's, it's correct. It was first half, mm, tough. Second half year, good. Now it's like, wow, we've had this great rally. Maybe we were all wrong. First half's going to be great. Second year is going to be more problematic. Lag effect takes effect, blah, blah, blah. Economy weakens more, you know. In the near term, I also think there is a potential catalyst, and that catalyst is buybacks. And the buyback window is going to open for a lot of these large companies. Hasn't it already? No. Well, they just. I mean, you got set. Why no? But you got seventy billion from Chevron, forty billion from Facebook, that's the Meta. Inten- that's the intention, but that's not the actual going into the market buying the stock. They can't no, buy no, their stock no, but, back right now. But they're letting you in, you know, behind the okay, curtain so of what they the, intend the, to do. That's perception versus reality. Yes, on the perception of buybacks, markets will rally. On the actual reality of it happening, markets could rally a little bit more. I am not overwhelmingly bullish. I, I, I'm not sitting here with extreme optimism. I just think you have to understand that I think the first half of the year is setting up to be much better than what the consensus expectation ultimately would be. And I think there's also going to be a little internal rotation, in particular if this peak commodity story, which it looks like is now in play from the middle of 2022, actually unfolds. Because I'll raise my hand. I'm right there. I'm right there along the commodity trade like everyone else. And I think there's an overweight positioning that will be unwound in the market. What's the capital's going to go somewhere What's else. What's the point at which that happens, right? If, if $2.40 nat gas doesn't do it and $73 crude doesn't do it, what does it? I think it is, number one, the spot price of oil falling below 70 sustaining there. But then I also think it is mean reversion when you look at energy equities relative to the spot price of oil because there's been an outperformance in the energy equities. If there's a mean reversion there and you begin to see the outperformance occur in the energy equities, I think that's when you'll begin to see so you don't, a lot of that So you don't buy into China coming back and, and that will be the demand I support? Priced, I think that's been priced in already. Well, I know. Actually, no, because the commodities have actually rolled over. So if China actually reopens. But we already know there are. I think Joe's point is like, well, they're already reopened. If it's not in the price now, no, no, then they're not. They're barely reopened. They're barely reopened. They just reopened a, a, two months ago. Right. So that you're not. No, no, absolutely not. I think that there's a long tailwind uh, for, for China. And I think that will be the demand surprise. And we've talked about Europe mm-hmm. being a little bit better. OK, is it because it's warm? All right. I'll take it, though, because it's going to lead to better demand. And so maybe this year the theme is the U.S. is slow. I don't know. Is it no landing, soft landing? I don't know. Recession? I don't I don't really care if, if, if we grow one percent or negative one percent. It doesn't change my thinking. But maybe we have offsets. Right. Some positive offsets from across the pond that could help. Uh, overall global growth. And actually, I think maybe you'll have a bid under some of the commodity glass prices. Glass half full, Linkster. Hope well, so. well, well, but, you know, Hope I mean, so. I'm not glass half full. I'm just trying to, like, 
paint the picture not, of the but reality. But to Steph's point, I'm why, not hugely why, bullish, but I am. No, I'm, no, no, I'm no, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. First of all, there's nothing wrong with being glass half full if that's your view. Second of all, well, you have definitely gotten more positive on the market of late. Right. Absolutely. And I think that that's been right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I've been positive on the economy, more more positive on the economy. Right. Because I see some of these other things. Do you want to disagree? Do you disagree with Mike Wilson? Do you disagree? Do you think that maybe a new bull market started at the bottom in in October? I don't I I really don't. I don't know. I think we're going to be choppy until we kind of figure out, are we growing? Are we not? Are we soft landing? Are we no landing? Are we recession? But I think we're pricing in a lot of bad news. I think the, the, the point is, if the economy is a little bit better, Right. And and international is a little bit better. Isn't that good for corporate earnings? Right. And that's what stocks follow. They follow profits, period. But isn't the jury still out, though, Sarad, isn't it, as to whether earnings are going to continue to weaken from here? They're just not as bad as we thought they would be to this point. They they, they are not as good as we they should be, but they're not as bad as we thought they're going to be. So the question is, is that trajectory going to continue? And well, doesn't everything hang on the answer to that? Yes, but but to, to Joe's point, you've got a lot of capital on the sideline that can come back either with stock buybacks, because when you look at the energy companies, to your point, they're not going out and spending and producing more oil and gas. They're just holding this cash back, and everybody's, you know, the governments are upset with that, but that's what they're doing for rational pricing, and then you also get rational stock prices out of that. So you're, you're in a position where if things go down, you have companies and you also have investors that have capital on the side that can go back and buy the stock. So now what do we make of what's gone on with the, the so-called momentum trade? Uh, the highly shorted stocks, the ones that were down the most last year, because there's an interesting note from Barclays said that the pain is set to continue for momentum, stay underweight. In other words, don't believe the hype. Gerstner the, last week, said, well, I mean, you can believe the hype in some of the names that got, you know, overcorrected. But if you want to lump everything in the same basket, you're going to be really disappointed when you see some of the stocks that you thought were legit in their comeback maybe maybe go back to where they were. So momentum as a as a factor in the market, which, again, I will point out, there are significant amount of investment dollars that follow the factor of momentum. Momentum as a factor is not present in the market. It has not been present in the market since February of 2021. There is the absence of developing any form of bullish trend, either based on a sector or a strategy style. You could say, well, you built momentum negatively. Okay, well, that helps the short sellers. Momentum funds are basically positioning long. They're not positioning short. So there is no momentum right now in the market. None? Haven't we slowly sort of built it back, right? It takes a while to to build it back to where it was. But, you know, you've poured the concrete, right? I mean, there's nothing to to show you that momentum is, is better than where it was? No. In fact, what's happening right now is that you're losing, and I hope we don't because I'm overweight, you're losing momentum in energy. You're losing momentum in materials. You're losing momentum in healthcare. But it's when not being picked up by other places to offset that? Way too early. So if I look and see, well, uh, yes, we've had a significant rally in Microsoft and, and Apple and Alphabet. Can I say that momentum has been reestablished on a longer time frame? Absolutely not. No, but not. that's why I said you poured the concrete. You didn't frame the place yet. Oh, I mean, Scott, <laughs> you, need, you, you need several more quarters to confirm that momentum to the degree that momentum was established in the prior decade, prior to February of 2021, that's real real momentum. That's what 
investors are investing around. They're not investing around momentum on a day trading basis or on a weekly basis and trying to buy these ridiculous zero dated options or weekly options. It's momentum that develops in a trend over a longer term period, six, 12, 18 months. That's real momentum. And you can't find that right now. If rates stay high, I agree with you 100 percent. Right. Is this high where the rates are now? Well, well, the Fed funds is probably getting to five, five point one, or is it four point nine? I don't know. I don't care. But it's like basically, it's going to stay high for longer. Well, I mean, that's what he—that's basically what Powell was you, telling us. He's you, been telling us that very consistently. And if you have higher rates for longer, long-duration assets, growth technology by definition, they will suffer. They will right. and momentum. The market doesn't believe that they're going to go as high as they say or stay as long, stay there as long as as they suggest they might. Well, that's why tomorrow is important again. To, to see what he says, because he didn't push back against where the market is necessarily last week. Does he try and bring the two sides, so to speak, closer together? We're, we're going to find out. Now, we talked about sort of momentum, whether it exists or not right now in healthcare, right? You bought GlaxoSmithKline. I do. Speaking I've been adding of, to it. Yes, I've been adding to it. The stock, I believe, bottomed a couple of months ago. Um, Glaxo's pipeline of vaccines is huge. And really, it was completely discounted to zero during COVID because everybody was just focused on getting the right uh, COVID uh, vaccine. So at this point, you look at the stock trades at 10 times earnings, got a 4% dividend yield. They spun off Halion. It's a pure play uh, in, in the pharma group. And, and it's been unloved for a long time. How about this idea, Steph, of, of healthcare? Is, is that still the place one of the places to be? I mean, I recently sold United Healthcare, right? And so when we talked about about that, so I'm underweight healthcare. I think it worked last year. It did what it was supposed to do in terms of being defensive. There are some wonderful companies. I agree with you. GSK is, is a great story. Um, and I think you just have to be more selective this year because um, I just think that a lot, these stocks have moved a lot and they really have held up remarkably well. And I think you're going to have a reversion, right, into some of the other sectors. Stephen Weiss should be calling up telling you that he bought Moderna within the next 24 to 48 hours. This is, <laughs> this is the spot that if you've been waiting to buy Moderna yeah. for a trade that you yeah. can actually do it. Well, he already owns it. Why would he tell you he bought it? Well, let me explain why. Got up to 217 in December. You're getting now a pullback. The stock is pricing at 172. You have a very low risk point of reference, which is the moving averages that sit in a very supportive nature below that level at 156. So if you were waiting... To buy Moderna, this is a spot that you would step in and buy it. Why? Because your risk is defined and it's very low risk. It's in the Joe T? Moderna is not in the Joe T. Moderna was liquidated from the Joe T back in October, a little bit above this level, about $10 above where it is here. Would you get add it back? Why isn't it in the Joe T? Sounds, sounds like you'll like it. <laughs> Next quarterly rebalance will be at the end of April. We'll address it then. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like you're making the case well, for given it. Well, the view as a trade, I assumed it was in the GOT. We're talking about health care, and you're tro- always trying to identify low-risk scenarios where you have a nice point of reference. This is a great point of reference spot. All right. All right, let's take a quick break. We come back, uh, calls of the day, including a downgrade of one stock up 15% since the start of the year, reports earnings this week. We'll debate that and more just ahead. We're back. Two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion. 
helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we are back. Let's get to our call of the day. It is PayPal downgraded to market perform at Raymond James. They moved to the sidelines ahead of earnings on Thursday. You're not on the sidelines. You are in the game, Surratt. Um, <laughs> you own it. So w- what are we to make of, of this call for a stock that, like many of the others we talked about not five minutes ago, have had a huge run to start the year? It's up 16% in a month. Yeah, look, I mean, the stock was $200 a, few, you know, a year ago. This is a no-man's-land stock. I mean, growth investors don't like it. Value investors think it's, it's still too expensive. It's a show-me story. They've had three really bad quarters of we, we tried to do different things. I think it's an execution story. If management doesn't do it, I think, you know, we're out of the stock. But it, it's, got a, it's in a great place in payments, and, and the stock actually has a lot of room to go. So we're looking for, for you know, 5% growth top line, and, and that could fall to the bottom. I mean, it's a no-man's-land stock. Right. That's what you just said. I, I seem to own a lot of those. By the way, so. <laughs> what I'm just saying, I mean, it doesn't sound like you have a whole lot of conviction behind no, this do. one. If it's I, in a no I, man's land stock. Well, no man's land. If you're a growth investor, value investor, if you're a core investor. Yeah, I think this is where you want to be, because the opportunity here for the upside for a company that has a great product, but just been mis- mismanaged for the last year. But what does execution look like? Is it is it they need a stronger capital allocation strategy? Is it to borrow the word that was so popular last efficiency. week? Better efficiency. What, what does that look I, like? I think it's a common of efficiency, stop spending money on growth like they did trying to buy customers that weren't there. I think you have a return really, capital shareholders. Re, you can return capital shareholders and, and also focus on your core business, which is payments, focus on Venmo, focus on making money as opposed to just trying to grow the business and buy Pinterest and do other things like uh, just not in your core. Does the CEO retire like there's I think the CEO might, if he does not perform, be forced to retire or choose retirement. But I think management's really in the hot spot. And, and you had a stock that well, everybody loved that was trading in the high 30s is now at, you know, in the 20s. But what is earnings going to be and how do you allocate capital to actually get this business going forward? All right, let's talk about Dow because Credit Suisse just upgraded it to outperform huh. from underperform. OK, um, you upgraded it recently because you bought it. <laughs> yeah. Not that long ago. No, about right? a month ago. Okay. Yeah. No, I think you're past the capacity increases in polyethylene. China is 35% of that demand. So if China is really coming back, as I believe, they should benefit. They've got great price mix. The stock trades at six times the EBITDA, and it yields 4.7%. It's like so. a quiet, nice mover year-to-date, 19%, right? Yeah, I, like it. I like it a lot. Price target 68 bucks. You own it in the Joti. I do, and it's an example of your friend Lee Cooperman, who's been on overtime and who has said that you want to buy stocks that report really bad earnings and have good price action. Mm-hmm. And last week's earnings, boy, those earnings were pretty bad. That was yeah. as bad an earnings report that this company has seen probably in the last 15 years. And the response to that was 
overwhelmingly favorable. So yeah, I like the entry. Right. You're, yeah, because you're at peak of peak of capacity, right? So if you think it's and going you can to improve, see the optimism that's in that yeah. uh, report this morning that they're speaking towards in 2024. Mm-hmm. You could begin to see that take fruition. All right, let's go to Diageo. Uh, Bernstein upgraded Surratt to outperform. Price target to 225 from 215. It's a core holding of yours. It is a core holding, and it's a it's a staple that has growth. And we've been talking for a while about staples that are expensive. Here's a company that's well diversified across geographical sectors. I mean, you look at China's gonna come back, that's where they've got a good part of their business. They're in the high end, they're in the low end. After COVID, a lot of customers have decided that they can drink at home, they can go out. So you're really in a sweet spot where they have good margin expansion and global growth. All right, next, Disney, mm-hmm. RBC, reiterating outperform 130 price target, they're bullish into earnings. Steph, you first. I do not want to own this for the earnings. And in fact, I hope that the CEO just kitchen sinks numbers, to be honest with you, in terms of guidance, right? There's a lot that they have to fix. I like it because I think he's going to be able to fix it. I just think it's going to take some time. So I'm not playing it for this quarter, right? Um, we, we don't even know what the strategy is on streaming. The costs are out of control. Pricing at the parks is a nightmare. So there's a lot that they can do, but I just don't think that he's been in there long enough to see any kind of results that should surprise to the upside. If he kitchen sinks it, uh, he being Iger, um, what does that mean, do you think, to the battle with Pelts and Tryon? Mm. Doesn't that strengthen Pelts's hand? I would think, right? I mean, absolutely. Whom you've already said you would be voting for. I absolutely would be voting for, because I think there's a lot that they need to do, and I think he would be helpful. Why would you want help in a, in a time when you have all of your businesses really struggling at this point in time, right? Why wouldn't you want that help and that support? Surat, you own it too. I own it too. Here's another no man's land stock, right? I mean, <laughs> it, was a, it was a growth stock, and now with all the things going on with streaming, their cost expenses, I think Iger's in there to try and fix it. You also need to talk about who's going to take over from him. I mean, that's not now, but to Steph's point, I'm not owning this for this quarter or even next. I think the sum of the parts of this company is worth so much more, and I think you have value creation here, and mm-hmm. I think this is a good opportunity to get it. But you, you disagree, because I asked you... I think the last time you were on and it came up, which I remember. Absolutely. Sorry for you that I remember. No, because Ken Squire (laughs) sent you the note right five minutes before that. But tell me, I mean, you you vote with management. Steph votes with Pelts. Okay, so I will tell you right now, I will give management the doubt. I think Pelts can do a good job in there, but he is not a media guy. He has not been in the media world before. Give Iger a chance, and if Iger can't do it. You don't need a media guy. But, but you don't need a media guy. You need a, but I don't you think, need a guy. But I don't think you need. <laughs> you got a guy that's not going to spend seventy-one billion dollars on Fox, right? But, I mean, but I don't that ruined you, the balance sheet. But I don't think you need. I don't think Igar needs somebody to help him at this point. He came in there to do change. He didn't come back because things were going so well, and you know. So I don't think he needs that. In addition. I think Peltz could speed up that change. That's. Right. I think that's my point. I think that Igar can right. uh, absolutely. He can actually do a good job. But I think it's just going to take some time, right? And the whole reason I bought it was before Pelts. It was I, I bought it because Iger was in there. Then he came back, and he's going to fix it. So now I just think with Pelts in there, he could just move it along. Then my only point is like, if the if the board is only f- full of media geniuses, why are they in there, the spot they're in now? <laughs> right. Well, you could say the same thing about Comcast. You could say the same thing about anyone who went into streaming. It really hurt almost all. Look at Netflix. I mean, it's not like any of these stocks are doing well. No, but but but. I mean, the issues are much broader yeah, than right. just spending yes. a, a boatload of money on, on streaming. Yeah. I, I just honestly feel give Iger the chance, let him focus it. Now you got the distractions on the side. They're going to have to be incredibly creative, though, aren't they? I mean, they have assets potentially like ESPN. Right. 
that they could, you know, do something with that. They could spin off or whatever the case. But they have to they have to get creative. In you some have regard. to. And you're in an environment where the FTC and, and, you know, our government doesn't really allow mergers going on right now. Right. So what are the companies doing to actually create value? They're spinning. Look at what happened with GE. Look at with J&J, Glaxo. So maybe there's a potential that you spin something out and then kind of. I don't think they're going to spin out ESPN. Yeah. That's the no, free cash flow example, horse. But, but they, they can't. You've got to be, to your point, creative because there is value there. All right. Up next, we're going to go live to the world's biggest ETF conference down in Miami. We'll get the latest investing trends from some of the top advisors there. Plus, during February, we are celebrating black heritage through stories of some of our CNBC teammates, contributors, and leaders in business. Here's Delano Sapporo, New Street Advisor CEO. So as a young black kid, the people that I looked up to when it came to, you know, look, focusing on my career path were one for sure, my dad, he's a lawyer um, and he's someone that always drove, uh, worked hard and was passionate about what he did, helping people in immigration law. When it came to finance, I was really intrigued by one of the books that I read, which was by Reginald Lewis and his story and his life uh, when it came to working in corporate America as a black professional. And those are some of the things that drove me, gave me motivation and inspiration to do what I do on a daily basis. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's our CNBC News update. Pakistan's media regulator is blocking Wikipedia services in the country for hurting Muslim sentiment by not removing so-called blasphemous content from the site. International and domestic rights groups say accusations of blasphemy have been used to intimidate religious minorities and settle personal scores. Many critics denounce Pakistan's action, saying it's a blow to digital rights. A new study by the CDC shows the majority of Americans support a ban on selling tobacco products. The survey found about 62 percent of adults support a policy prohibiting the sale of menthol cigarettes and about 57 percent support a policy prohibiting the sale of all tobacco products. History was made at the Grammy Awards as Beyonce broke the record for the most wins by an artist. The pop superstar brought home four Grammys last night, bringing her lifetime total to 32 But it was British sensation Harry Styles who won the night's top prize for his hit album, Harry's House. Reaching out to his kids, saying turtle power. It's a big hit for everybody, Scott. All right. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. All right. The world's largest ETF conference underway, as we said, in Miami. Bob Pisani, of course, is there with today's ETF edge. Hey, Bob. Scotty, wish you were here. Beautiful day in Miami Beach. Welcome. This is the ETF portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani, and we are coming to you from the Exchange ETF Conference in Miami Beach. This is the biggest ETF conference in the world, 2,000 RIAs and the providers here to hash out the latest trends in investing. Let's talk to the man in charge, Tom Leiden, is the vice chair of Vetify, along with Tony Rockby. He's the global head of ETFs for Morgan Stanley. Tom, last year, a disaster for the stock market, a disaster for the bond market. We saw outflows from mutual funds, inflows into ETFs, 
What's the hot topics here? What what are the RIAs buying this year, and what are they not so enthusiastic about? Well, they're enthusiastic about the Fed doing their job, frankly. Uh, it's risk on, Bob. We're going longer in duration, lower in credit quality in the fixed income space, and more money going into international ETFs like developed emerging markets, China, areas that were unloved. Here in the U.S., surprisingly, small caps are outperforming large caps. And then we're seeing information technology, Kathy Wood-type stocks, really booming and advisors are getting behind them. Yeah, you know, in another sign of the uh, continuing strength of ETFs, Morgan Stanley finally getting into the business. Tony, you're an old hand at this business. You've been at it for more than 20 years. They brought you in to shepherd Morgan Stanley into the ETF business. You just launched your first suite. Why now? Why is Morgan Stanley? They're the last big holdout in the ETF space, the last you really big firm not in it. Now you are. What's the reasoning now to get in? Yeah, the logic, Bob. Thank you. We launched six ETFs from Calvert under the Morgan Stanley Investment Management brand last Wednesday, four index, two active. And we, we listen to our clients, Bob. We have institutional investors we serve, financial advisors. And it was clear they wanted the ETF wrapper in the in investing uh, methodologies that we manage within Morgan Stanley. So we listen to our clients, we work backwards. I would tell you this, Bob, it's an active ETF yeah. platform as we look forward. Um, and we're very focused on you know the first suite from Calvert. Uh, it began trading. Yeah, we'll talk about more about that on ETF Edge. I want more from the RIAs and what they're hearing about it. Obviously, lots of outflows from the mutual funds, but there's still big inflows into the ETF space this year. It just keeps winning year after year. But active management, RIAs here are talking about bringing in active managers now, lower costs. What's those hot active space? It, it was one of the hottest spots in the ETF space. And advisors where they used to be more passive based, they're behind active managers in a big, big way, Bob, because Look, the Spiva report, you and I talk about this all the time. For 22, it was one of the best reports ever where active managers were outperforming passive. That's good for ETF issuers that are looking to come to market with active strategies. You know, Tony, I, I can't help but notice you have a broad equity ETF, you have a short-term investment grade bond ETF, but there are also four what I would call ESG funds. It's interesting to get into ESG now particularly after it had a tough year last year with a lot of political stuff going on. What's the thinking behind doing ESG-type funds right now? Yeah, look, we know three-quarters of 22 ESG saw headwinds, but Calvert as an organization was in net positive flows in their mutual fund business. But we heard clearly, Bob, investors want choice. And to Tom's earlier point about active exposures, we launched CVSB, the Calvert Ultra Short Bond Fund, 5.5% yield, super competitive pricing at 24 basis points. We've only been trading four days, but out of the gates, we're getting great feedback from our institutional and advisor clients. All right, Tom, Tony, thanks very much. We're going to have a lot more on the big trends in ETF investing coming up on ETF Edge at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Tony will be joined by Dave Nautic, financial futurist at Vetify, and as well by Vance Barris. He's the founder of Your Dedicated Fiduciary. That's ETFedge.cnbc.com. Scotty, back to you. All right, Bob. Thank you. Good stuff. Thank you. Straight ahead, it's our chart of the day. A stock's been a big, big winner so far this year. It's up nearly 60%. It did get a downgrade today just ahead of earnings. We're going to tell you what it is. Debate it. Coming up next on The Half. All right, let's get to our chart of the day. Lift. There it is. It was down. It's since recovered, and it's up a lot. Look at that, near 60% this week. Got downgraded today. 
to a hold from by Gordon Haskett, price target to 19 from 24. We kind of use it as an excuse to talk about Uber, okay? Because they, in the downgrade, say they favor Uber over Lyft. Surat, you own Uber. I do. And, okay. and I've owned it for a while, as mm-hmm. you know. Yes, you uh, have. Look, it's got a network effect. It's got the drivers. It's got food. They've gotten rid of a lot of their businesses. Actually, all their businesses that don't make money. So, and, and management was very clear last summer in their investment uh, meeting, which they said, look, we are going to be cash flow positive. These are the metrics. And essentially, that's what people are going to be holding them, feet to the fire. And, and look, if, if they can't be profitable and meet what they said they're going to do, it's probably not a stock people want to own. But they are—they have geographical diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a small piece of the business is logistics. But it's really the combination of having a driver either deliver food or pick up has been really good for this company. And, and let's see what happens when they have earnings. So speaking of holding feet to the fire, that's what Brad Gerstner is tweeting about today. Says Uber reports earnings this week needs to double down on efficiency like Meta should drive future growth with zero hiring. Smaller, faster, more profitable. Uber will increase competitive advantage. I believe they will. Time is now. He said some are urging that he write a letter like he did with Meta. He said we don't need to do that. People know our our case. But he said, and this is interesting, Uber should be a winner take most in, in this business. He makes the point, Joe, that with rates at zero, Lyft could essentially spend whatever they want. That sort of skewed the, the competition between the two, that Uber is the one that's going to take most. And as we come back to a more normal rate environment, that Lyft is going to fall by the wayside in terms of where that competition is. Yeah, if there's anything about this conversation that stands out most to me, it's the downgrade on Lyft, because I think that's exactly what should be done right here. Um, they are losing significant market share to Uber. Uh, I'm not sure who's going to step in ultimately for this company. I see it as a potential M&A candidate. But back to Uber for a second. There's a lot of positives surrounding the story. And I've owned it in the past. I've traded around it and I've tried to utilize the restart of momentum in the stock. And that's that's been you know, that's failed on multiple occasions. The stock peak in February of 2021, a little below 65, it lost its momentum. It's never regained it. But you're right. It's it's got, you know, beyond uh, the, the mobility, it's got delivery, it's got the global footprint. And it really comes down to can they begin to really execute? And I've said this in the past and people have have, you know, come back and said, well, that's not what Uber's all about. But I like a little bit of a capital allocation strategy as well. Why? Because it retains Longer term, your investor base, they like to stay there. They're more patient with you when aren't you're these, seeking these growth initiatives. Aren't these two just the proxy for growth? Growth has worked here to date, right? I think so these stocks have done well. Different. I think also what happened when you say it was 60 bucks and then we had COVID and all of a sudden people who were traveling weren't using it. People go to the offices who weren't using it. Now you've got travel back and you go to any airport, you'll see, hey, you want to get your, your drive share? You go to Lyft, you, you go to Uber. So they've been taking share away from rental cars as people travel, as people now use it more. Uh, you know, for their offices. So I think it's partly ingrained in society now that we didn't have a few years ago. And I think that's where they get the operational leverage. And yes, absolutely. People are looking for efficiency and and capital allocation. But I think to Steph's point, though, I think, you know, Gerster would say that, you know, maybe Lyft is more emblematic of that growth trade returning. But when the rubber meets the road of higher interest rates and a company that is just more profitable than the other, and is not going to be able to, to, you know, Lyft took advantage of a low-rate environment, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uber has a much larger advantage to scale the business. Sure. 
in, in this new environment especially, sure. right, where people are being held more accountable for how they spend their money. And they've done a really good job. I, I, I don't own either. I haven't owned either. I've always leaned more towards um, Uber because of its diversification that you talked about. Um, I just I think that these stocks trade. If, if growth is going to win, these stocks go higher. If value wins, these stocks are going to get hit because they got hit last year as value outperformed growth. These stocks didn't hold up. No, and, and I, think, I think you make a mistake as investors if, if you think of them as equals. They're not. Right. Even in the basics of just overall market cap, Uber is 10 times the size of Lyft. These are two distinctly different businesses. And Brad is so right. Lyft is reliant on utilizing the debt market to sustain operations. Yeah. All right. Up next, Mike Santoli is with us for his Midday Word Plus. We're getting ready to grade your trades. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. Or you can tweet us. Use the hashtag GradeMyTrade. We're back right after this. All righty. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us right now from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word ahead of another important Powell speech. This one tomorrow during this program. How are you thinking about that? Yeah, Scott. I mean, the stakes have been raised, obviously, since Friday's uh, very hot jobs number. And it's brought into the market a little bit of a no landing scenario that we now have to ponder. Uh, People were getting pretty comfortable, I think, pricing in a softer landing or at least a phase where it seemed like that was more plausible. Uh, So I do think there's you have to believe there's a hazard of uh, of Powell even just emphasizing the multiple rate hikes to come and and all the rest of it. So it's probably accounts for a lot of the hesitancy here in the market. Uh, Really pretty contained, though. I might have expected a little bit more of a pullback just because of how overexcited a lot of things got in the short term last week, whether it was, you know, some of the spec names and the the options volumes and the heavy short covering. So, so far, uh, it seems pretty much very much in the range of, uh, of normal in terms of pullbacks. And I think the S&P gets down to even just above 4,000, and it would still look okay in terms of ratifying what people are seeing as signs of a potential uh, more uptrend phase. I'm wondering, you know, if it's like if, if, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again in terms of trying to bring the market closer to where the Fed is, because he certainly didn't succeed in any way, shape, or form, if that was any part of his goal last week. For sure. Um, And again, I think all the disagreement or implied disagreement between where the market is and where the Fed is in terms of its statements are about the other end of peak rates, right? So whether they'd be cutting quickly uh, soon after finishing rate hikes. Now we have to worry about there's an additional hike in there. But it's what, what actually happened to bring the markets closer together the numbers, the data did. Um, so it's not clear to me that, the, that Powell was speaking Wednesday knowing we were getting a half million new jobs uh, in the monthly report on Friday. So I think it makes sense. Uh, it, but there is a test involved, right? Yields moving back higher uh, and the dollar bouncing pretty hard. It raises the question of how much of the equity rally has mostly just been you know, the inverse of those things. And that's what we're figuring out. All right, good stuff. I'll see you in a bit. That's Mike Santoli at the Stock Exchange. All right, Grade My Trade is up next. Still send us an email at askhalftime at cnbc.com. You can tweet us. We're right back. All right, Grade My Trade. First up, Stephanie Link Bill in Ohio bought Zoetis approximately $144 last year, declared a 15% dividend increase for the first quarter this year. You like it long term? I do. I like animal health very much. It's total addressable market. It's 43 billion compound animal growth rate for that. For the total addressable market is 10% between now and 2030. 
Uh, and these guys, I think, are going to have great organic growth for their quarter. So it always trades a little funky around the, around the quarter. If it's weak, I buy more. Okay, Surat, give me a grade for Allen. Uh, Oracle he bought, $79.80. What's the grade and what should he do? I think it's great. You get an A on that one. I think you keep the stock. They have really executed this stock has been out of favor for a long time. They're, they are in the right space. They're competing really well with Amazon, Microsoft, in the cloud, and I think you want to keep this. Okay, Joey T from Hugh, okay? Joe T, I enjoy your rigor and unbiased discipline when investing. I've been dollar cost averaging into Pioneer for years, cost basis 146.72. I'm 26. Looking to hold for the next five to 10 years, buy more, hold, or sell at these prices given supply, demand, environment, and oil, and best in class balance sheet and dividend. <laughs> I need a drink after you, that. Water. A plus for the kind words, A plus for the trade. That's a fantastic trade, 146. If you time well, frame. Well, it's like up like 50%. Yeah. So for the, if your time frame is the next five to 10 years, which, by the way, when you're 26, that's what you should be doing. Uh, then you do want to buy right here. And the reasoning is, when you look at a lot of these energy equities, if Stephanie's right, and I hope she is in her thesis, that energy potentially is about to recover, right, you want first in, first out. So the high for Pioneer was back in May. Mm -hmm. The high for the XLE was in November. Therefore, Pioneer should have bottomed first already. So I like that trade, A-plus all around for you. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Take a quick break. Final trades are next. All right, overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern. Uh, Avery Sheffield is going to join me. Rockefeller, Lauren Goodwin, too. Eric Jackson's having a really good start to the year. I guess no surprise given where the growth trade has gone. So we're going to check in with him on that, see if he thinks it really can continue. And we're going to have a new note as well from Fundstrat's Mark Newton that he's going to talk about first in overtime. So I hope I see all of you then. And I hope you join me. All right, Stephanie Link. Starbucks. Trade. Starbucks. It was down 4% on Friday after they reported earnings, which I thought was actually pretty good. A 10% comp in the U.S., 11% internationally. Mm -hmm. But China fell 29%, way more than expected. But what have we been talking about? I think China's going to reopen, and I think it's going to come on strong. Mm -hmm. So I like that name. Well, I mean, the stock's been up a lot. It's up a lot. A ton. I know. But I think it was a really silly reaction on Friday. So that's why I want to take advantage of the pullback. Okay. Mr. Satie. I'm sticking with Uber. I, I really think management has something here. They're going to, if they hit their metrics, this is a stock that you're going to get the no man's land people coming in and saying, I actually want to own this. You got to get out of no man's land. I do. I do. <laughs> I'm stuck in there. Too much going on so in no man's land. Yes, well, Oracle was not no man's land, but you know, a few of them are. All right. All right. <laughs> Joey T. On semi, it's a great example that you can own the semis, but you want to do it with low beta exposure. Look at the stock today, ripping high rep. CEO was on the network a little bit earlier. Yep. Big into the auto biz, right? Yep. All right, good stuff. Uh, all right, let's see if we can hold, uh, see what happens to the market between now and overtime. There you go. I'll see you then. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. 
With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.